Just a quick mention at the top of this episode to thank two of our patrons over on Patreon, Jennifer and Toby, who are supporting at the highest tier over there. We are so, so grateful. Thank you so much to our wonderful rainbow parents, Jennifer and Toby. If you want to support our Patreon, then the link will be in the description. It's patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis, and I would like to welcome you to one of our guest specials. Ooh, very exciting. And today we are joined by, as usual, a very special guest who will be answering the question, what movies made you queer? I am very excited to welcome Princess. Woo! Woo! Clap, 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 clap. Thank you so Yay. much for having me. I'm just excited <laughs> to finally be here with you. I wanted to be talking to you and doing stuff with you forever but we always are just so busy and everything's so chaotic so it's an honor to be queer here with you oh my gosh like ships in the night I mean I I feel like in these podcasts with these guests I always forget to actually introduce people because it's mainly like this is a cool person that I know about and then I I never actually do the proper podcast thing of introducing them so uh, if you don't already know who Princess is for shame um writer youtuber Pop culture thinker uh, was the direct quote, I believe. And Mm -hmm. I actually pulled up the quote from your YouTube channel, which I think is like chef's kiss, which is talking about pop culture, race, feminism and other social issues with a lot of nuance and profanity. Incredible. I do do love that. Sometimes I write something. I'm like, that was good. I think that is a a solid description. Um, So essentially, honestly, if you like this podcast, if you like anything that me or Jazza do on the Internet, uh, you will love everything that our guest does across the entirety of the internet so many projects um we'll leave in the show notes various links for you to look up what she's doing first question for you the first question we always do on this um particular type of guest episode Mm -hmm. i use queer in that intro as kind of like an umbrella catch-all term you know the movies that made me queer Mm -hmm. but do you use other words to describe your identities does that make sense as a question for you or would there be some other kind of words going on there no absolutely I use queer and bi all the time I am a very loud proud stereotype bisexual person and I love it it's the term that I came into my queerness with um so even as I've evolved and people have like well about pan or this and it's like I, I accept all those terms but I call myself bi and queer. And yeah, just very happy with happy being bi. <laughs> Amazing. Love that. Uh, and as such, you have brought along, I don't know what these are. I love when like all the guests keep stuff secret <laughs> from me beforehand. And so it's always really fun to see what stuff people overlap on because I feel like there's a lot of quite classic, especially the bisexuals. You do, there's a few that you all seem to have zoned in like some kind of homing beacon onto yes. certain characters in certain movies. And then sometimes there's really left of field ones. So would you like to lay before me on the platter of sexuality uh, your first entry into this particular podcast vault? Well, I have to say, as a precursor to this, I think like every every queer kid can go back and find like a billion moments where they're like oh yeah I like this because I was queer oh yeah I was totally queer that's why I like this and for me the thing I picked (laughs) is the moment where I was just like all of the denial just kind of like flushed down the toilet and I was just like well it's no I can no longer pretend that this is just uh, meaning the floodgates have opened just truly fully opened and it is not even the movie itself but the trailer for a24's the bling ring 
Wow, what a deep <laughs> cut, what a throwback, incredible. Okay, so for those who don't know, what what is the bling ring? If no one somehow someone has passed them by. Oh man, a, a true moment. All right, so in 2013, Sofia Coppola, the soft girl boss director that she is, did an adaptation of the Vanity Fair article, The Suspects Wore Louis Vuittons, about these this gang, quote unquote, like this gang of like rich kids who were going into the homes of celebrities and stealing stuff from these celebrities' purses, shoes, like it was chaotic. And it was a huge story. And in 2013... Uh, Sofia Coppola produced the film and in the film playing one of the token members of the bling ring is Emma Watson. (laughs) There's a scene in the trailer where Emma Watson is like dancing and she does this thing where she like licks her upper lip and she's got like bangs like even without looking she's like in the dance where she's having a good time and she just kind of like licks her upper lip and I just remember thinking to myself like oh no it's (laughs) oh no it's finally it's like the egg cracked there was no there was no more denial there was no more like oh maybe I'm just no I was a homosexual. Um, And I think it's because I always had a crush on Emma Watson. Very valid of you. Thank you. Um, In that front, but like in a way where it's like, I was always a girl's girl. I always had female friends. I always wanted to be in the company ship of other women. So it was very easy for me to just be like, I just want to like be her best friend and we could read books together and we could like hang out like she likes to read. I like to read, you know, that kind of thing. And then first, the first thing that she did was she got that haircut. When she, like, after she was done filming that franchise, she cut her hair into this very cute, like, Audrey Hepburn and Hathaway Bob. And her face just, like, got ten times, just was, like, in in my mind, just like, wow, she's so pretty. Wow. And then I was like, no, it's fine. It's just, I'm just admiring <laughs> her. I just really love to admire people who can pull off pixie cuts. Like, I, it's just an intellectual admiration of exactly. that face type. Exactly. Yeah, of course. And so, I, and so, but then when the Bling Ring trailer came out and I saw that lip lick, I thought, I really realized, oh no, I'm gay. <laughs> and I have a crush on Emma Watson for real, for real. I love that. And even though I don't particularly like the bling ring as a movie, that moment is imprinted on my soul forever. That when I was sitting in bed thinking about like, oh, am I gonna be talking about Xena again or Sailor Moon? And it was like, I started reading some fan fiction. And then I was like, man, I really do still have a thing for Emma Watson. <laughs> I, okay, here's what's so funny. I've never actually seen The Bling Ring. I think I would love it because it gives me the sense of like a movie that would really tickle the ADHD like good bit of my brain in terms mm-hmm. of it being just very chaotic and fast, basically. Like that seems like there's probably been a lot of happening in that movie. Um, so I haven't actually seen the film, but I know the exact moment in that trailer that you are talking about. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I can see it clear as day. And I think it was that like, at least as from my recollection, she did the like pixie cut and stuff, mm-hmm. which was sort of like her version of I'm grown up now, like I'm separating myself from this franchise it is as a child. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Bling Ring was the first like role that she took that was like overtly sexy I'm here I'm like an adult yes and so it was obviously like we're going hard on the idea of like this is me stepping into my own and she 
seems to have really put put herself into that role. So yeah, it was just inevitable. It know? was inevitable. It was like it was the Deathly Hollow movies came out. Then she was in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Then this and her cameo and this is the end came in like the same year. And then, you know, she's on and off for a while. I don't think she's done anything since Little Women. But she's just like, I think also, even though I don't like her, how her Belle came together in the movie, I think like as just a kid, like I'd always love Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And in my mind, she and Belle and like Audrey Hepburn and kind of like all of the like warm, soft, white girl femme things that I really am attracted to were like all combined in my mind with her because she was smart and a feminist and someone who just seemed very aware and even when she wasn't trying to get aware and then what is even more piqued bisexual is that I always had a crush on her and Tom Felton and then they had that they had that whole back and forth thing where like she wrote the intro to his memoir and I just remember like just like giggling when I found that out and everyone's like what's wrong with you like you don't understand (laughs) everything by in me is so pleased right now that they're like friends a piece of context that I feel like (laughs) everyone needs if you aren't familiar with the fact that Tom like I feel like the way the princess has just told this story as if it's like some kind of historical event I know like his book came out this year like that that reaction (laughs) is still within you within your like very being it feels like it's it's because you know, for all of the things that I, that I, there are some fandoms that I really became queer in or that I recognize my queerness in and the things that I would ship and the, and the content that I would consume. And so like the Draco Hermione stuff, which is, you know, very problematic, hashtag I know. But because I had a crush on Emma Watson and Tom Felton as like people, it was like this perfect like blanket for me. And then there was all the, there was always those rumors that like she had a crush on him in real life, which was confirmed, and so that brought me into a whole fit of giggles. And then I remember a couple years ago there was this image that one of them put on Instagram of like him teaching her the guitar, and like my entire like heart went into outer space. And then when the memoir came out, and I just and and I was just like, wow, Emma Watson, it, like their friendship just makes my heart very happy. But I just love the things that she's doing outside of acting. And I think the bling ring was the moment that I allowed myself to be like, no, I really have a crush on this girl. And it's weird because it's the first time I've ever had a crush on someone who was like my age, a real person and not a cartoon character. And someone who for my entire life had been like both my age and a celebrity. Because I remember just the process happening and figuring out who this person was. And it was just very like... It was overwhelming. I think it's, I feel like that's probably how fans of the Jonas Brothers must feel, who were like around the age when those are these. That's how I felt. Like, oh, Emma was all the Jonases in one. Rolled for into me. one girl. And I, the thing that was like so interesting as well is that they were like worldwide known celebrities, but felt very accessible in a strange way. It like felt like just like oh I just got picked as a child to be yeah. in this this movie series and I'm I don't know it's all just a little bit crazy isn't it and yeah. now I'm like going on these fun little shows and so I really it was I, I definitely think that 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 she has been a uh as well as just being a very very lovely looking gal um it's a lovely looking gal that you know for a long time we really overlooked the fact that she entirely acts with her eyebrows her and my my girl em- amelia clark something about those m's they just love but you know what the Truly. brows are free it's fine it's it's very there are like uh there is this one she was in this 
I think it was a BBC adaptation of uh, Ballet Shoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my God. That is peak Emma Watson eyebrow acting. Mm-hmm. And you could almost, if you, like it would be dangerous playing a drinking game with it because you would, like it would, you would be absolutely wrecked by like the third scene. And then within it, she plays a girl who loves, who wants to be an actor. And then she like doubles down on the eyebrows during, she does like a monologue from Midsummer Night's Dream as Puck, I think. Oh and my it's goodness. And incredible. And me and my brother, like it's really hard for us to watch an Emma Watson film we have to like deliberately try to ignore her eyebrows, like just cover the top half of the screen. Mm-hmm. I love that girl. And I think I agree with you in terms of like everything that she is seemingly to like use her platform for and like trying to do with the fame that she got from a young age. Mm-hmm. But also I think there's just some elements of her where I'm like, you are, you just seem like a normal person. And yeah. that almost makes it more alluring. Yes. I think that's really true. And I think it's, I think when you compare like the Potter kid actors to like any other fandom while there definitely was grossness like the older men who were like trying to like sleep with her as soon as she turned 18 they just seem very level-headed like it was before instagram before mm-hmm. tiktok before we had that much accessibility and also i think to a degree them being british and being around so many actors who could yeah curate them and guide them who were these tr- like you know you got like the best lessons ever you have all these actors with like decades and decades of experience under their belt being around you to help you get through that and I think that's why all most of them have turned out so well is because they really had a lot of pragmatic thoughtful people around them yeah and I just find that so refreshing and I think that even when I you know I feel like if her and Amelia Clark were in a movie that would just be like it that should be the trailer it's just their eyebrows and their eyes that's all because, you see because all anyone because that's what everyone would think about if the if if movie poster designers had any balls like they used to, it would just be eyebrows. That's the poster. Yeah. If they if they committed to the bit... We would love it. It wouldn't be one of these, like, posters with every single person's face that's on there, like, you know, the classic MCU posters now. Mm-hmm. I think specifically just... we They need to be cast together just so that we can go away. And then also, do you know what would be great? If Matt Smith was also in it. And yeah, because he has no brows. Space. Yes. Yeah, there was just a blank space on the poster where Matt Smith belongs. Absolutely. Like, you have the brow... The biggest brows and then the brow face. So it's like, you have Amelia and... Emma right here, Matt Smith on the side like a little ghost. And then you have Lily Collin just over there. (laughs) Just all the brows together. No, people need to learn the art of making a great, delicious poster again. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just, you know, I think crushes are such a fun thing to look back on, even if they are like celebrity crushes, because the ability to like geek out over a person was so normalized through Tumblr that you could really just be out quietly to yourself while still getting to appreciate these figures and get to work out those feelings. I think that's the kind of thing I like too about the before I was queer time and figuring out was that I got to do it by myself. You know, mm. I, there wasn't the pressure to come out because I wasn't like anything big the way I am now. But I really got to just enjoy just having a crush and liking a person. But although, but also not having to be a stan either. Like, I love her. I, I would do anything for her, but I'll still make fun of her eyebrow acting. Like, I'm not <laughs> ridiculous. I kind of want to ask about the Tumblr. Were you like Ooh. a Tumblr teen? Was that where you were? Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, Because I think that... Tumblr weirdly is this kind of anonymized mm-hmm. space in in a way in terms of fans like you don't know how many followers people have you can't tell who's like a big name in the fandom really and then you also there's no chance that you're 
people that you're a fan of will run into this content unless someone literally like showed them or they had some kind of secret Tumblr account. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the rise of Twitter, it feels like people are much more likely to be able to like directly try and contact people they're a fan of and like have that kind of feel like they might be able to have a reciprocal relationship. Do you see like a big difference between that energy that maybe I think when we were teenagers it was more of a private thing as it were like that was a community with the other fans and your friends as opposed to like having access to people well you know it was interesting because I was a smaller public figure at the time like because I'd been doing YouTube for so long people knew who I was but it was a lot more people who were engaging with me in good faith you know like it wasn't Mm. like People, there would be pushback or asking questions with the anons, but you could also turn that off. And that would immediately stop people from wanting to ask you questions because they didn't want to put their name to it. So I think even just having that option was a really good way of filtering out people who were there to troll you or to antagonize you and people who just really had questions to ask you. But I ended up making a lot of really good friends through tumblr and i think the tagging system on it was just so much better because if you were looking for a meta commentary about something you could just click on it and find that and if you were looking for like you know for me i think like something like teen wolf and i was specifically looking for people who are anti-racist in that fandom and i could just go to the tags and find who i needed and who i wanted and soft block anyone that I didn't and I didn't have to soft block everybody I could just block those tags and that would just keep me from going like even now like when I left when I soft left Twitter because I I still have to go on it for work I'll go on Tumblr and it's actually great because it's already been filtered for me so when I go on it unless it's like a sponsor thing I usually only see things I like and I think that's really the ideal experience is to just like see the things you like when you're going online that's so true okay now that you've name dropped teen wolf (laughs) i need to know if teen wolf has any part of your queer journey no that that, oh (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. i love that for you you know you know what it is is that like i so so i i loved like teen wolf merlin a bunch of those shows and um but the problem was that there was just so much misogyny and anti-blackness in those communities that any enjoyment that I would have gotten out of some of the queer experiences were like very thoroughly like because and I'm writing about this for for the, my book but like it was just weird to see like like I appreciate steric as like a concept and a thing that people like you know like I get it like I get it that is the most diplomatic <laughs> answer to like any fandom question is like I appreciate the th- in theory like I I I you know the concept the theory behind but yes entirely uh, I mean Teen Wolf is pretty notorious for being this fandom where they were like do you know what we're gonna do we're going to find just two white boys who have never interacted on screen and they Positively, will be our yeah. ship. It's, yeah. It was just like, again, I, I do get it because I do that with women all the time. You know, I I, peep, I understand the appeal of like super court for that very same reason. Y'all like two pretty white people together. That's fine. But then there'll be actual queer characters and queer characters of color in it and there'll be nothing. Or just a lot of harassment. Because for me with Merther, it was just like, I get it. You want... Arthur and Merlin to be a thing that is not Gwen's fault honey like if 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 Arthur was not dating Gwen uh he would not be dating Merlin because the writers of this series are cowards and will not let them be gay even though there are little I know there are literal books where like Arthur's in a thruple with Lancelot and Guinevere so it's just like they're not doing that but it becomes this situation where 
it's somehow treated as like the fight for representation can include attacking and harassing and demonizing black and brown people who are not standing in the way of your queerness. They are not doing that. They are just trying to enjoy that there's a black queen in the show. And it's like, it always upsets me how the ire will go to the wrong people and it stops you from being able to enjoy it. Because I used to like really like Styles on Teen Wolf, but then I began to see all these people who like felt like liking Styles meant you had to like hate Scott. And I just got slowly uncomfortable, like, we don't have that many Latino characters that get to be, like, really sweet himbo protagonists. Why are we acting this way? You can just like a secondary character. Like, we all do it. We all mm. do it. So it wasn't part of my queer experience, but it was part of, like, my intersectional experience of kind of understanding what it meant to be, like, queer and brown in a fandom space. I mean, I specifically at this point really remove myself from any fandom spaces of something if I want to like it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if this is a thing I think I'm going to be a fan of, I'm outside of it. I consume it. I have my thoughts about it. I talk to people I know about it. And then maybe I start dipping a toe into spaces when I know that like people I already follow who already talk about stuff that I like or who have write good fan fiction or do good fan art. If they've gotten into it, I might dip in. But like even from the point of view of someone who's queer and white, you like it just completely destroys your interest in these shows to have misogyny, racism, like fucking transphobia, homophobia, biphobia somehow mm -hmm. also enter these spaces that are meant to be so kind of inclusive mm -hmm. with this idea of like fandom being a space in which the mainstream like lack of intersectionality can be corrected, which yeah. I think is where fandom is strongest that when people use fandom as an excuse to like double down on the kind of critiques that that rightly are put against shows it kind of just feels just the worst to me yeah. to be honest yeah it's it's a really interesting experience because i think that there are so many people who really come to fandom looking for a community and cannot accept that parts of their community might still have internalized issues um, and isms, which is like every community has that. And we all in our time online get pushback from that. And we don't always react really well the first time it happens. We're human. But the point is that like after you sit with that for a while, are you going to like actually address it or no? You know, how many times do you have to have fans telling you like stop calling Gwen a gorilla before you'd realize that like that's maybe not okay and not helping your ship because it's not her fault that the writers don't want your characters to be gay and I think also because queer baiting was such a big like this is when like Tumblr really started the queer baiting conversation and it got transferred onto Twitter but I think that because on Tumblr, you could have these long form posts and really get into the nitty gritty. When we were talking about queer baiting, we could really sit and discuss like the specific moments and have like the gifts and everything to be like, this is what we're talking about. And because mm -hmm. Twitter is such a shorthand thing, that term just got kind of like copy pasted onto so many other things. And we, and you talked about this a lot in your content because I follow it because everyone should. Queer baiting kind of lost its meaning as it got transferred and diluted from one space to another because you couldn't actually discuss it. You either accepted it with like a few bits of evidence or you'd have a long thread that people would lose the traction for halfway through because 
a 10 piece thread is going to have so many different parts than a one contained meta post. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you feel like there are any of these shows or movies or books or any piece of media where you've entered into the fandom and felt like, oh, this this is working. Like this this makes me feel seen and appreciated as someone with these kind of like intersecting identities. Or do you feel like it's not not really built that way right now? I think that even with the best of intentions, a lot of places are not always ready to unpack their anti-blackness. Like that's been the biggest hurdle that I've seen. Like in almost every single queer community I've been in, unless it was like a black show, let's say like your black lightnings or whatever, there was always a difference between how people would treat the characters of color versus the white characters. And there was always like a reason why, and it was always like about the writing. But I think the reason why it doesn't work well is because the communities will just push out the people who are pushing back on them. And there's an there's a desire to disengage because that's not what you're actually coming to it for, which is kind of the tricky part is that a lot of people are going to Tumblr to just kind of enjoy and be in community with each other. And a lot of people just treat community as in like, we're just all going to be the same and it's easy. And when you get that kind of pushback and you have to ask, get asked these difficult questions that you are not ready to deal with, it's very easy to just label someone like an anti or pro this and then just dismiss them. And that kind of repeats the cycle. Because I do think that there are valid reasons to be frustrated, especially with that particular queer baiting of the late 2000s and early 2010s, because they definitely knew what they were doing. But there comes a certain point of which, why are you as a consumer still supporting and dealing with things that are clearly not meeting you where you feel like you need to be met as a queer person? It's something that we're still dealing with about as consumers deciding and really being picky about who we are choosing to put our energy behind because queer marketing can do a lot um if it's done well mm, and like a lack of queer marketing yeah can, can like really pass people by I mean the example I always think of is um in books actually there's a YA book called Wranglestone and it had a I don't think they thought it was gonna be as popular as it was and I think it gained word of mouth because people were like it's the gay zombie book it's the gay zombie mm-hmm. YA book and so suddenly they had to do a reprint and I went into a bookstore when the reprint came out and they still had copies of the old cover And it was exactly the same, except for this one quote on the back that was added for the second print, which made it obvious it was gay. Because prior to that, there had not been any obvious gay stuff within the blurb, within the quotations, there was nothing. And suddenly they'd made it obvious because they suddenly clocked like, oh, wait, the gay teens aka the readers other maybe they want to read this book exactly and I think that that that's always like there's been this weird balance of like some places trying to conceal queerness because they I guess they can think they can sneak it in front of straight people and they won't notice mm-hmm. but along the way you're going to miss a lot of queer people who are like actively searching for this representation mm-hmm. and kind of actively excited about it I am curious as to whether any of the stuff that you were kind of like had on your list is overtly queer like whether that you've kind of felt representation from media that was trying to represent you or whether it's kind of been stuff that you've interpreted through a queer lens or or connected through in a queer way that wasn't necessarily in the source material Mm -hmm. well I think one of the things about having been into anime as a kid is like there just is a lot more of it even when they couldn't 
necessarily kiss on screen. You kind of knew what was going on. I think the biggest thing for me is like obviously like Sailor Moon, where it was like you know you're in a Neptune, mm-hmm. they're they're a couple, and they those cousins, those yeah, yeah. beautiful cousins, yes. <laughs> and I I don't think I can't I don't know anyone who watched the dub and really thought that that was really what was going on. Like it was just like everyone was like I don't think that they're actually cousins. Yeah, for those for those who don't know, uh, essentially, yeah, there was basically what it sounds like. There were two um, characters who were made in the I think it was like specifically American when it was over in America yeah. that they did the English job for Americans and they claimed that these two women were cousins while they were very much doing things that cousins like would not should not be doing holding hands very closely yeah very closely really giving that cousin energy and so it's kind of now I think it does seem ridiculous but it was essentially like censorship that was deliberately trying to make sure that there wasn't even like an ambiguous relationship people could interpret as being queer it was like nope cousins absolutely not Mm -hmm. let's not go there Right. And even something like um, Card Captor Sakura, which we got became Card Captor in the dub, you know, the leading boy character Sayori, and he's by canonically and that was like written around and so it was it was interesting for me of like watching these shows that were either that were subtly queer and I say that in like subtle only in the sense that they couldn't say it explicitly because of censorship but everybody knew it was going on like Xena Mm -hmm. you know I always tell my mom like you're the one who got me to watch Xena so you can't blame me for being bisexual (laughs) it is like bisexuality the show truly and so those were the things that really at that age really allowed me to feel comfortable. And then the works of uh, Tamora Pierce, Mm. because in her, especially in her Circle of Magic series, there is a lesbian couple in it and like a normalization of the idea that, you know, LGBT peoples do exist in these worlds. And I think as I got older and expanded to like fantasy and things like that, it became very easy to read between the lines and be like, oh, okay, that's a little gay. You know, the first time I read like Interview the Vampire and I was like, so they have a kid, huh? All right, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm picking that up. I love that we're both wearing striped sweaters, by the way. I just was thinking yeah, we about matched that. deliberately. <laughs> we did it. That so was very on purpose. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, Tamora Pierce, what a... For, I feel like there is just this kind of um, experience, a certain experience of being into Tamora Pierce mm-hmm. as, a teenage, as a teenager and most likely as a teenage girl. Uh, into queerness pipeline is um, absolute chef's kiss. Uh, I truly don't know why there hasn't been adaptations of those books. I wonder that all the time. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it's very listen. If you if anyone who's is listening to this and you don't know the book series that uh, we are talking about, essentially it was like my absolute bread and butter. One world called Tortal and various books, standalones, duologies, quartets, series uh, that kind of spanned like hundreds of years that are still I think being written today Mm -hmm. and they all were very like the quintessential one I'd say is probably the lioness quartet which was the classic tale of like a girl who disguises herself as a boy to become a knight and it followed her from when she was like a kid to when she was in her early 20s and it was that kind of energy of like the 90s feminist vibes in a fantasy setting and yeah they but they were these books that did have these appearances that I hadn't come across before of like queer characters or of kind of tomboy characters who were treated with respect and it was a really 
uh, you would you would be listening to this and be like, wow, primed for an adaptation. And yet, yeah. so that's the next one. That's that's my big pitch. If anyone, hi, Netflix, if you're listening. Um, if Not you could Netflix, just we can't like, trust them anymore. Maybe you Amazon. You know what, actually, you're right. You're right. Hulu. That's very true. <laughs> BBC, if you want to do, I guess, the entirety of the Tortel series in nine episodes, um, that is kind of your bag, then it's 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 available, I say, as someone who has no affiliation with Tamora Pierce or her... <laughs> legal legal team give them some money (laughs) give please please give them something Hello, dear listener. It is Rowan from a slightly different time of recording. Sorry to interrupt myself here, but I just wanted to just quickly say, if you are enjoying this episode of the podcast or any of the other episodes that we put out, then why not consider uh, being a Patreon supporter? We have a Patreon where essentially you can give uh, a small amount per month and you get access to a bunch of really fun perks. Uh, We have perks at different levels, but essentially you get access to things like our Discord, where we talk about queer movies. We do a queer movie watch along every month. You can also... uh, tell us what you want us to cover on the podcast we also have perks including things like top 10 lists where we give you recommendations of queer movies and queer tv shows that we've been enjoying that you should watch we have a queer newsletter with the very um, gay stuff that we're finding all over the internet that month so a bunch of very fun cute perks that you get as well as just the warm and fuzzy feeling of supporting this podcast and the work that we do so that we can you know, pay the wonderful Julia who edits uh, for us. So I will include the link in the show notes. It's patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast. Patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast. We would love to see you over in the discord sometime soon. And also, if you have indeed been enjoying this episode, then we think that you will enjoy some of the other podcasts from Multitude, the podcast collective that we are a part of over here at the Queer Movie Podcast. Um, So I thought I would just tell you about one of them. It's actually a brand spanking new one, hot off the press. Spicy. It is Tell Me About It, a madcap game show about proving that the things that you like are actually interesting. Hosted by Adol Rafai, who you might know from Hello from the Magic Tavern and Hey Riddle Riddle, as well as our very own Eric Silver. In every episode, a guest comes on to share and defend their favorite thing, uh, which honestly, very up my alley because I feel like, you know online where they say, what could you talk about for like 10 minutes straight? I Anything, truly if I have a favorite thing, if I have something that I've enjoyed, I could rant about it forever. I want to tell everyone about it. So this is right up my alley and I'm sure up a lot of yours. But the way that they do it is through a series of absurd games and challenges, of course. Uh, the trailer is actually out now. You can listen to it. And the first two episodes are going to be dropping on February the 23rd. So very, very, very soon with new episodes after that every other Thursday. And the eagle-eared amongst you might have noticed the fact that I said, yeah, it comes out every other Thursday, which means that if you are used to listening to the Queer Movie Podcast on Thursdays, this could be your alternate Thursday fave. You could you you could have a podcast from Multitude in your little in your little podcast app every Thursday by double tagging us and this brand new spanking new podcast. So give the trailer a listen and subscribe so that you are primed to get those first episodes coming next Thursday. Just before I get back to my chat with Princess, I wanted to say a massive thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. And you may have noticed a lot of our episodes because 
very exciting they're a returning sponsor to the podcast um if you are looking to build a website for yourself or your business or ever have looked at building a website i'm sure you have come across squarespace they are an all-in-one place to do just that you can build a site set up an online shop connect with your audience i say a website for yourself or your business but here's the thing you could uh, you could use it to make a website for anyone a website for a friend a website for your wedding that's a thing people do which i found out when i got invited to a wedding recently that whole website the possibilities are truly endless. So we actually have used Squarespace to make the Queer Movie Podcast website. I also use it to make my own personal website because I've never been relaxed a day in my life. So I'm constantly have a million projects going. I have a bunch of social media platforms, things like that. And Squarespace essentially is like, hey, do you want to put all of those in one place? You just give people one link. You can link out to them. You can link your social media directly to your page so that it automatically pops up and displays posts from like your Instagram, from your Twitter. You have analytics as well, which again, if you've never been relaxed a day in your life, you might look out for your website that you've made for your wedding to check, you know, how many people have been looking at that gift registry. Or if you have a business, it's you know, genuinely useful to figure out how people are finding your your brand, what brand have you got? Your wedding photography brand. This sounds like I'm soft launching me and Jazza's wedding. I'm not. Um, but yeah, so like you want to find out where are people, what are people searching for? What do people want? Uh, what are you providing to people and how can you link those things up? And it is super easy with the insights that Squarespace has. Also very exciting features that you might not have thought of including on your website, like a donation function. So you can encourage donations on your site for a cause that you care about, like some kind of wedding related cause the theming really breaks down here a, a worthwhile charity um i am not a tech person i'm not a coder so uh very very useful that they have a design function which gives you templates and things that you can use and customize way easier so if that sounds like something that is up your alley if you're looking to start a website for whatever reason check out squarespace.com forward slash queer movie for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, back to the show. So anime in terms of the possibilities that it opens up, it sounds like there was that element of like not necessarily having concrete, oh, I see these two characters kissing on screen and saying that they're girlfriends and stuff, but that possibility opening up, is that kind of where it was landing for you? That, that is, that's where it landed. And also when I would read the Sailor Moon manga, it was also like the girls would kiss in that one. Like it was explicit mm -hmm. that like there's even a whole thing where like, you know, Uranus is flirting with Usagi and the girlfriend and her girlfriend and then, then Pluto comes and it's like, oh, you all live together and now you're going to raise this child. I see what's going on. So I think as I got out of just traditional Western media, which my parents were very encouraging of, and being able to read like other comics and seeing those experiences, it just became more and more normalized to me. And then just sort of like, I think Buffy at, on a certain level of like, even before I watched it, I knew the big thing about it was that, you know, Willow is a lesbian, which made it very shocking when I watched it from the beginning. And I'm like, what do you mean she likes Xander? I don't understand. I thought she was gay. <laughs> I thought she was. I felt betrayed in advance. I was like, what, what, what? Like, I was just like, this is not what I signed up for. And I had to but then I liked Oz. So it was very conflicting. But I was like, Willow can just be bi, I guess, in my head canon, because, you know, we discourse for another day. Listen, wait, <laughs> truly peace has peace will come to our lands when the bisexual willow and the lesbian willow headcanoners 
live together in harmony. Mm -hmm. I'm part of that collective. I feel like, you know, it's a fictional character uh, who has had relationships with both men and women. And therefore you can, you can argue both sides and you yeah. can see yourself in both sides. Both the, I have had relationships with multiple genders. I find attraction to multiple genders. I am bi, pan, m-spec and willow is too. Mm -hmm. Or the, sometimes lesbians have relationships with men before they figure themselves out lesbian experience. And I believe they can all exist in harmony together. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking that Oz should just, you know, be, they'll, they're like, Will, will become trans. I think Oz would have been a great trans woman character. So I'm just like- Do you know what? That's, I take it back. That's the galaxy brain take that we needed. So I'm like, the, just as soon as it's like Oz comes out, realizes that they are trans women, everything comes up right as rain. It's like, you were always in all the same. All coming together. The, the red <laughs> string is connecting. Exactly. We just go right past Xander. It's like, that was just a mistake. We just <laughs> got to think about Xander. That's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So was it, it sounds like you sort of already knew there was like an element of queerness. Was this when you were already out or at least had figured out your own sexuality? Or is this one of those things where you're like, oh, curious, a lesbian character <laughs> for no reason at all. I'll check that out. I think because I think I watched Buffy between my junior and the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. And junior year was kind of the year where I was sort of realizing things like I had done anything like, yeah, I made out with my female friend, but we're just like, figure we're just hanging out you know we're just friends of katie perry just having a little bit of fun literally was obsessed with katie perry had i kissed a girl i played it all the time i made like two disney amvs to i kissed a girl when that came out my she did my friends printed out for my birthday like Katy Perry thing saying happy birthday to me again it's one of those things where like you look back and it's like really the, the call was coming from inside the <laughs> brain um but, but the first show that i watched while I was queer and that it really connected with me in that way particular was Lost Girl, particularly because the character was bisexual, was a succubus, had like relationships between different kinds of genders. And while I still have like my own critiques of that series on the whole, it is it remains super important to me. I'm actually watching it with my girlfriend right now because it was the first time that I was queer and watching a queer show at the same time and actively seeing things that made me feel seen. And also, like, she was the main character. She wasn't the side character. She wasn't less... She was the leading character, was a bisexual succubus. And, like, her being sexual was not treated as a good or bad thing. It was just part of her nature. And I just really remember feeling just so held by that. And I think even when I critique it in terms of how it handled race, I'll always have like this bit of me that wants to share it with other people because it just meant so much for me at that time. I think that that is like a, feels like an almost un universal experience of being, I guess, anyone who's of an identity that has not had representation necessarily like held out to them and, and given to them that you will have these things that you are like... I want to recommend this to you. I really liked this. It meant a lot to me. I might have to rewatch it to see how rose tinted my glasses were when I was <laughs> when I was like completely like looking at it through the glasses of like, oh my god, the first time I've ever seen this. Mm -hmm. And then you go back and you're like, okay, so we have to acknowledge uh, this, this, and this about it. Yeah. But it is like when you don't necessarily have this wealth of representation where you can be like, oh, there's enough of it that 
it feels comfortable to represent the, to, to talk about this particular representation because there's others that can fill in those gaps or this actually did it really well. Mm-hmm. That feels like a very, uh, an experience I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners will relate to in some way. Absolutely. And because I was like older, than, like not older, but I was in college then and I was like already knowing I was going to be like a lit nerd. I was unpacking a lot of it while I was watching it, which is why it's one of those things where like because I was already a nitpicky nerd, it's like I have a right. I can tell you the problem at it before, about it before you even start watching. It's like so when I went to my girlfriend, I'm like, OK, so this episode has this. This episode has this. Overall, is very good, but we're just going to prepare you. And I think that's kind of the good thing and why I always push back about the idea of like oh you're gonna be like a buzzkill if you like tell people it's like i think most people with any real media analysis understand that not everything is going to be perfect things are gonna can age weirdly people can not necessarily know what they're doing the important thing is like acknowledging it and not trying to like pretend it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. you know i i would much rather deal with acknowledging that there is transphobia in something then be like i mean you could read it this way it's like no we'll read it the way that it is very clearly done in the story which is transphobia i mean like i'm notoriously my entire personality is the show black sales so yes uh, oh, i, I love heavily black get sales. that because oh boy season one oh yeah every time i recommend it to people i'm like but listen season one is also a thing so I gotta warn you I gotta warn you for a whole season mm-hmm. I mean it's still good but like oh boy yeah so I'm very used to the whole uh I'm I'm can love a piece of media that I'm also critiquing kind of energy to it yeah black sales was a hard one because I, I remember that first season too I watched it live and I'm just like it's gonna be gay pirate soon everyone said that's what went up when um when um our flag means death came out it's like gay pirates i've been here before (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh yes my two shows my two gay pirate shows i'm i really love the fact that they only having said that you know we need lots of representation to get it right really they honestly said okay we're gonna have exactly two gay pirate shows and they're both gonna be bangers yes Um, and i i respect that as like a Mm -hmm. a concept i think it is right considering the pirates of caribbean was a bisexual awakening for so many people that yeah. it just felt like the proper legacy of piracy. And it was really interesting because I got to interview the writers of Black Sails and they talked about that it was really important for them to like acknowledge that like part of the reason why people think of pirates as like funny, you know, characters is because of propaganda used to sort of marginalize them because they were on the outskirts of society a lot like kind of like cowboys a lot of them were people of color formerly enslaved people you know women wearing you know male clothing and it's like Mm. wow showrunners who actually do their research and appreciate their subject matter what what i think also as a (laughs) as i get older i think no actually this is so funny I so I like uh, turn-based RPGs, and I love the game Fire Emblem. And one of the things that you could do in the Fire Emblem games is like put people in relationships. And so I would always just want to be putting all the girls together and all the guys, and I'd be like, it's just normal. I just want everyone to be happy and they're best friends. They want to be best friends forever, so now they can get married. And so. And so it's very funny to, like, go back and think about, like, yeah, I really wanted all of these queer couples. And, like, I'm playing the newest Fire Emblem now. And they have, like, a lot of callbacks to, like, the older games. And I'm just like, oh, man, these are my babies. (laughs) These are all my cute babies. And it's just been really fun seeing 
aspects of other characters that I really love come alive again. And finding all these little ways in which that I was always kind of asserting my queerness in different ways and coming to terms with sort of like what that meant for me because I don't think it always meant one thing or just one experience which is I think is fine I don't think it ever should be just one thing to encompass so many people but finding it in even places where I didn't expect it I think was always a thrill of it you know of like oh my god like I have this possibility and that when that possibility came up I took it that I really Mm. wanted to make it happen for me and I think that's something that I really enjoy you know, now that I, I'm older, I just really enjoy getting to be queer and enjoying stuff and finding things where I don't have to make it up anymore. Mm. Or even if I go back to something that's older, to be able to see, like, to see even things that I miss. Because I think a lot of times authors are trying to do that, but they they had so much pushback, especially when we were growing up, about how queer you could make something without it being, you know, a whole issue. So it's actually fun for me to go and revisit things and figure out, oh, like, this is the actual text. The actual text is gay. It was everyone else who was lying to me. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I think that that, like, I feel like I've talked to so many people who have found that, like, the Fire Emblem experience that you've had in various places, whether it was, like, how they played with their dolls when they were younger Mm -hmm. and, like, how they paired them up or, like, playing their Sims and deciding, like, who was living in the house with their Sims getting together or, like, fan fiction and fan art and, like, finding those pairings that you wanted to put together to be like, ah, yes. And then as you're getting older, having more and more of an awareness of, like, that being a deliberate act rather than something that you are just doing to be part of the figuring out process or Mm -hmm. because you're not even aware that that shouldn't be how the world works. And so it's really interesting seeing these ways in which exactly as you said, like people are creating the queerness and like actualizing it in a way in front of them. Um, You know, whether they're kind of cognizant of doing that deliberately and putting that out into the world to share it or just privately as part of like that growing up process mm-hmm. and also that like game like even the sims like the sims gave you like you could have in the sims too you could have gay couples and they would just adopt a kid like you just like ready to have a baby instead of like you know having sex you would just all of a sudden a woman would arrive with a baby and be like here you are and i'm just like that's so convenient thank you didn't have to do any paperwork or anything And so I really appreciate even those kind of things when I look back of like the possibility of being able to just enjoy things for myself. That is something that I just find so important. I really think that games specifically have become a really great way for people to play with their gender and sexuality and really, you know, get to experience it on their terms and in spaces where they would not be able to do so. Like, I liked Boyfriend Dungeon because I like the idea that, like, you could have as many partners as you want of every flavor, or you could just be friends with them. And that was just, and either way was fine. And I think the more that we allow that to happen, to, like, be able to be whatever ender gender you want, be whatever pronouns you want in a game and normalize it, the better we are going to be with giving younger queer kids and queer adults who still enjoy this shit the best experiences while other people can just get normalized to it you know like it's not that big of a deal that to have pronouns in anything it's just pronouns guys and also don't stream harry potter (laughs) yeah that's a that's a (laughs) official order from the podcast endorsed by jazza who isn't here and as jazza is the gamer amongst uh Mm. the podcast uh, co-hosts of me and Jazza. Oh, nice. Jazza specifically uh, used to work 
at Google supporting creators and was put onto gamers and then me. It was like all these gamers, Jazza the gamer, and then Rowan as this little extra person that was like, hi, I've never played a game in my entire life. I've Does Dungeons and Dragons count? And Jazza's like, I love the game, but no, Rowan, that's a different kind of gamer. But again, like one of those games where people use it to explore their kind of gender and sexuality in a really interesting way. I guess it is that kind of participating in something and, and having a hand in creating it as you're interacting with a piece of media that someone else has created mm -hmm. means that it's like a safe place to explore, but also gives you enough like creative control and autonomy to make those choices and and feel like you've got like a, a part in it. Absolutely. And I love that part of it. Like I like if I could design games or like do things like that, I would definitely want to do more of that because they're just so the options are endless, especially because it's like I want gays in space, you know, like I like I like just getting to play a game like even um Crusade Kings where like you can form alliances with other care with other like nations and they can be gay too. Like you can just have those options of having queer alliances and doing those kind of things or like even in um Civ 6 now they have King Christina and like all these other female and male monarchs that played with gender in them just already there so if you don't know who they are and you look up this kind of stuff you can just figure out oh there was this like gay ruler that was around during this time or this you know ruler who played with pronouns i mean playing with pronouns especially in games when you like history games is such a common experience you know like female pharaohs or like women who call themselves kings and things like that like there's so much there and i think a well-made game is a great entry point to that kind of work amazing we're almost at the end of time. Uh, oh my goodness, time has absolutely flown. So I wanted to just ask if there's anything else that we we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention or that you wanted to bring up before we end. Um, no, other than just kind of being surprised that A24 had a had a grip on me at so young of an age. Uh, I fully forgot that Bling Ring was an A24 film. Like it yeah. wasn't until you said that. I was like A24 and I'm like, oh, a recent one. And then fully forgot that A24 has been around for more than like five years. Yeah, it's like them and spring breakers which is like the 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 tether of the bling ring i'm <laughs> just like oh right you know and i think spring breakers is the energy i wish the bling ring had but they're both in that same venue of like girls behaving badly which i do appreciate just being chaotic i was thinking about it took me a second when you said emma watson i was like oh it's it's not spring breakers but i had that moment of being like wait which film is which oh okay yeah uh, that'll that'll make sense now but i think i mean like i think that it's um again haven't seen spring breakers and yet i feel like you could tell me like a particular scene from the trailer and i'd be like oh yeah no that exact one because yeah. i think that some things just the internet immediately knows that this is this is a thing people are going to want to gif of and they're going to make it for you no, absolutely. And I think that it's just, you know, it's it's so great to look back. Like when I was prepping for this episode and like figuring out where I was going to start off with, with Emma Watson, it was just fun going back and looking at the trailer and how every trailer, no matter what, made sure to include that scene. And in like every, because now you can see what the most replayed moment is out of thing. Every single one, the most replayed is the topic. And I'm like, the people understand that this is what we want. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that whoever cut those trailers understood what the people wanted as well. A good a good trailer that doesn't tell you the entire plot, but just gives you enough to be like titillated forever. Uh, it's so good. I really... Every trailer should just have 
like a millisecond of that gif in it like any any genre any trailer give the people what they want it's emma watson licking half a lip with a fringe that'll that'll do it ah that fringe a a solid wig i was very proud of her uh but yeah i just i'm just really happy that i get to talk to you about gay shit and that i can talk about my embarrassing crush because i'm not embarrassed by it i love emma watson i think that she does good things with her politics and i just love i think i think honestly if you were a queer kid and you had a crush on any of the golden trio you turned out everything turned out really good for you like that's such a weird thing to say but like all of them have been pro trans rights very much in the main they all do normal kid things Mm -hmm. rupert grit still looks hot as hell he's a dad he's a whole father now (laughs) he has an ice cream truck that was like a whole thing for a while he just like went around and gave out free ice creams because he was like i got money and i guess what i'm gonna do with it is give out ice creams and i'm like adorable yeah and like daniel Daniel Radcliffe is a short Jewish king. He just like literally does whatever he wants with his money. Like him and Elijah Wood are just killing it in terms of like short king, got money young, hanging out. Chaotic like indie film energy. I honestly love that. I feel like never has there been a star that's that big, but that I feel like any random person could write a weird short film and just get him to agree to be in it. Mm-hmm. Like any, I feel like any of you people listening right now, if you wrote a short film and made it weird enough, Daniel Radcliffe is going to be in it. Absolutely. He's, he's going to be like, sure, I'll pay you to be in it. Right. I believe that with my whole chest. Yeah. They're, they, they are just good kids, lads, people who like, I think they are the template of like, this is how you guide a child through the process of becoming immensely famous and also giving them the space to just like do whatever you want would it be prestige or you do like you're gonna be like a sexy tavern boy dan rad like do whatever you want god bless stunning (laughs) um i have a final question for you which is do you feel like there's any like as you've been going through the journey of like your queerness whether that is still ongoing whether you feel like you're like settled i've settled on my throne do you feel like there's been any of your experiences missing from representation like you've you've had a particular experience or a particular intersection of your identity or a particular like life event that you've had that you're like I don't know if I've really seen something that's made me feel like yes this has been represented this feels like it's something I've seen reflected back to me Mm. you know I I think because I have enough privileges in my life I think I'm pretty good I think I think I'm still trying to find just the baseline sometimes like I think first kill and the character of Calliope was sadly like one of those characters that was like, oh my God, this is so exactly, exactly what I would have wanted. And then it was gone. But I think in general, the thing that I that I really would love to see more of is just more, you know, body diversity, more darker skinned people, more discussion of STI in a non stigmatic way because I think what I loved about success of college girls was that they had like the character who is a lesbian she had chlamydia and she's like I didn't know and they were all like I didn't know that you could get chlamydia for sleeping with women it's like yes you can girl mm-hmm. yes you can so I just would like to just see more you know people who aren't able-bodied people who you know who don't just have one partner throughout the entire thing normalizing STIs those kind of little things that you may think don't matter but when we talk about sort of like intimacy and romance and sex i think it's important to let people know that like even if you're someone like for example with herpes 
or something like that, that you still are a level person because that happens all the time. And I think that just those small things make a big difference to people. So I'm I'm lucky that I have had enough experiences and enough stuff with my own intersection. So even though it's not full, I mostly am looking for it to expand beyond someone like me into the more margins, you know? Yeah, amazing. Sweet. Before I do my little ending bit, was there anything else you wanted to add or that you forgot to say or anything like that? Just that uh, you're awesome and I love the work that you do. And I'm really glad that we finally got to like chat about something. And also like we definitely need to do something about black sales eventually because that would be so fun. (laughs) It's like truly I'm like so excited for the fact that they are doing Percy Jackson. I'm like truly have never felt more safe in an adaptation in my life I like as someone who was a who was a fan of Artemis Fowl I I really am rooting for you Percy Jackson kids (laughs) like (laughs) I'm not even a Percy Jackson kid so the reason why I'm like have a skin in the game for the Percy Jackson thing is because I used to work at Penguin who published uh Rick like in the UK and so I like weirdly had a relationship with it as like an adult rather than it being like a kid thing I was a Roman mysteries kid of of, like Mm. the Greek and Roman like thing Roman mysteries got me through my undergrad first year course I had to do biblical and classical texts which I did because the other ones were like you had to learn old French or old Latin and shit and I can't learn languages so I was like yeah biblical and classical that's in English like Mm -hmm. I don't come from a religious family but I'm sure I can learn some stuff about the Bible and then it turned out everyone who was doing the course was either super religious or had gone to like a really posh school and had done like classics at A-level and I knew nothing. And I fully passed that because I just remembered stuff from the Roman mysteries. Amazing. I was just like, you better be right. You, be-. I was like, Caroline, you wouldn't steer me wrong. I'm sure that all <laughs> of this was accurate. I'm just going to write this. So I'm like, I'm just excited for the Percy Jackson stuff because I just know I'm like an I'm like an ally, a Percy Jackson ally. And I'm like, I've just, your people have just been through such a tough time such with, a tough with time. the film. And I really want the best for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I got into Percy Jackson as an adult too and i'm just like oh this is great i'm glad the youths have this and then i saw the movie adaptation i was just like oh no like and then i got artemis fowl and i'm just like all right i i see how it is (laughs) yeah no i mean like uh, there was like a new adaptation of artemis fowl right it was yeah it was like an adaptation yeah it was terrible and i was just like i was just like why is why is it like this no but uh, yeah, well, thankfully, we will always have other things. <laughs> we'll always have, I say, as I try and think of like a good holes, we'll always have holes. Uh, man, I haven't been able to watch holes in forever because of Shia LaBeouf. But before ignoring him, we do still have holes. Oh, yeah. OK, now I'm like, oh, is there one where the people in it are good and it's not problematic? Because mm. Ella Enchanted isn't like the book. Yeah. Hmm. Let us know in the. Let us know. We'll let's always let's, have the future of cinema. <laughs> We've, you know what? Actually, the BBC has done materials that's just finished. Mm. Was very was was very good. You know, we have Pride and Prejudice. That's true. We have two great Pride and Prejudices. We don't need any more. The end. <laughs> Never again. As we all know, there's only ever been two, yes. uh, and and now they're they're just not necessary. Um. Thank you so much for joining. This has been an absolute delight. Oh my God, thank you. As I said, where can people find you on the internet? Where should they go and search for you if they listen to this and been like, I want more of this? Oh my God. First of all, just thank you so much for having me again. And if you can find me, 
if you can find me. You can find me sometimes on Twitter at Weeks Princess, W-E-E-K-E-S. And I am also on YouTube as Princess Weeks, where I talk about media and pop culture and all that fun stuff. I'm going to try and do some more streaming on Twitch because I feel like it's a fun different way to like meet a different demographic of people and i do like video games but other than that i'm just i'm just in the ether scrolling through tumblr retweeting cute fan gifts amazing that is it for another episode of the queer movie podcast everyone if you've enjoyed what you have heard then make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next episode in your app of choice and if you especially like what you heard then consider supporting us over on patreon where we have some very fun perks on offer like a monthly queer movie watch along on our discord uh, you can also follow the podcast on twitter and instagram for behind the scenes content as and when jazza and i uh, actually remember to do so our wonderful editor julia has actually started doing bloopers so we may be putting those up there or on our patreon so definitely look out for that I have been Rowan Ellis. We are edited by Julia Shafini and are part of Multitude. Find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. Thank you so much and hopefully you'll be hearing from us very soon. Bye!